And the other thing that's really interesting about policy is, you know, it also shapes how we think about who is the bad guy in society, right? You're listening to Jiro Zagawai podcast brought to you by Purple Feminist Group, the Myanmar first feminist podcast. In this podcast, you'll be hearing inspiring story of women and girls who are bringing social, economic and political changes in Myanmar. Minglava, welcome to episode 5 of Jiro Zagawai. It has been a while since we released an episode. Finally, now we are here to have an important conversation with a guest. Today, our guest is a gender diversity and inclusion specialist who have experiences working with both private and profit sectors, and she did a master study on gender policy and equality from London School of Economic and Political Science. Out of a busy schedule, full-time job. Right now, she's doing a sanitary pad fundraising campaign for women and girls in quarantine centers. She's here today with us to share about this fundraising campaign as well as her passion for equality. Heads up to non-Burmese friends. During this conversation, we might be using words like amma and yumale, and it just means we are calling each other sisters. So let's get started. Hello Kay, how are you? I want to start off by asking what you are doing currently, your your full-time job uh, and who you are. Hi Mananda, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really happy to be here and to have this important conversation with you. Um so my name is Kinnan Su and like Mananda said, I am a gender diversity and inclusion specialist. Um you know, I have always been motivated for uh inclusive social change particularly in Myanmar um especially for women but also for those of all backgrounds and identities um right now i am like mandandar said organizing this sanitary pad fundraiser uh to help get these essential menstrual health items to women and girls across Myanmar during covid um other than that i am also organizing the TEDx Yangon women event which is taking place next month in november um and if i'm not doing these things you'll probably find me making art or doing yoga or cuddling with my 20 pound cat so that is a little bit about me i love that you have a cat i always want to own a cat uh, i know you have been doing a lot of things and today in this conversation we'll be focusing on your study and your work and as well as the fundraising that you're doing um you did a master study on gender policy and inequalities and i don't know many people who do that and i know that you did international relations for bachelor and i want to understand why you chose to, like uh, to study gender policy and inequalities and what what do you exactly learn during your study you know uh, tell us about that and sure that's a really good question and you know like i said earlier to begin with i've always been really interested in serving my community uh, ever since i was young i knew that this is really what i wanted to do with my life so that's why i studied international relations um and i began my professional career working in the international development industry uh but after a few years of working and learning and reflecting i decided that 
you know, I wanted to go to grad school for further studies. And I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, whether I should do an MBA or go into law or international business. You know, these are the big degrees that felt like they would be the most beneficial and useful. And, you know, there's also a lot of social and family pressures to get one of these these kinds of degrees. But it's really funny that he said earlier that you don't know a lot of people that have a master's in gender. And I didn't either. <laughs> and it was really one specific conversation that shifted my whole perspective about this area of study. Um, I was visiting some friends in Brooklyn at the time, and I was having a conversation with one of my friends, Kayla, about how I wanted to go to grad school and how I was debating these different paths and all that good stuff. And she asked me, you know, what did I want to do in the future? Um, and I started talking about my passion for gender and women's empowerment and how I wanted to hone in on these issues uh, around gender as an area of focus for whatever work that I wanted to do in the future. And then she told me, well, why don't you do a master's in gender? <laughs> and until that point, I didn't even know that you could do a master's in gender. I didn't know that that was a thing. So really, that conversation was a turning point for me and a really important um, conversation that really changed the course of my life, to be honest. So uh, the master's experience was really, really uh, really interesting and engaging, and I learned so much during my year in London. Um, the master's course looked at gender from an intersectional perspective, uh, emphasizing, you know, how gender interacts with race and class and sexuality. Um, we covered theory, but we also looked at practical applications of gender theory through case studies. I learned uh, a lot of interesting things around, you know, the modern conception of gender and sex and sexuality and how these ideas came to be. And especially about how these modern ideas about gender um, are inseparable from our colonial past and colonial history. That was really important. Um, I also learned about gender and the political economy. Uh, I learned about queer theory and trans theory and gendered ideas of what it means to be a citizen, ideas of nationhood and belonging, um, gender issues and policies within the welfare state, like sexual and reproductive health policies, and so much more. <laughs> like, it's really, it's really looking back, it's really crazy to think that we covered so much in just one year, but it really did help me build a strong foundational understanding of, you know, the social structures that make up the world around us and the frameworks for how to critically assess and develop more effective and inclusive policies um, going forward. That's a lot of topics in one master degree, you know, like I thought as someone who have never studied um, that subject, I thought it would be something pretty boring then when you like you know elaborate and explain what is in there it seems so intriguing to me uh, even to understand I, w I was wondering you know like uh, you said earlier you're interested in bettering the community and you know making a better and equal world I was curious since you study policy as well did you have any like policies that you wanted to change um, in Myanmar like you know I uh, for me for example I have a problem with this criminalizing abortion and I wish someone can make it um, legalized you know do you have anything that is like regarding policy that is bothering you or uh, even like in general 
when it comes to gender equality what are things that bother you so much that you want to do something about it and you are committed to doing it you know sure there are so many so so many and i think that's the beauty of like after studying gender you realize that it relates to everything everything every policy every law can be related back to gender so um you know for me personally like what you were saying about criminalizing abortion that is also a really important policy that needs to be changed not just in Myanmar but in so many countries around the world same thing with criminalizing sex work um i read an article recently actually that was talking about how a lot of women in Myanmar are turning to sex work because of covid and you know job insecurity um and this puts them in a lot of risky uh situations for their health physically mentally um and subject to a lot of violence and abuse so i think that when we try to cover up these issues and not talk about it and not deal with it and criminalize it it really negatively impacts the women that are vulnerable that are involved in this type of work um you know those are just some examples but other things that i would like to see are uh for example better childcare support and parental leave policy in myanmar because policies change behaviors right and having childcare support for instance would allow more women to work um and more equal parental leave policies for example like more uh longer leave for fathers especially i think that would really help shift these social norms and gender norms around who should be doing childcare who should be working and earning money so I think changing these things would allow both parents to be better caregivers and breadwinners for example. Um and another thing that's really important to me is the intersection of gender and sexuality. Uh I would really like to see more comprehensive sexual health education in public schools that are inclusive of the queer community and the queer experience. Um you know, and I know there are already a lot of great organizations and advocates out there who are already working on this. like colors rainbow for example. So, you know, there is a lot of hope and, you know, there's still a lot, a lot of work to be done, but I am hopeful. Yeah, you you said something about the importance of policy and uh I also want to share like recently I have an an epiphany about like uh like how important the policies are in a country, you know. Most of my life I've always how do I put this? I've always thought that policies are the last thing you should consider. as a feminist activist in this country particularly i think because our country has um, failed at its rule of law and that's that's what makes me like the most hopeless about policies and like you know um investing time and energy on learning and uh, knowing about anything regarding policy but then recently when i talked to my lawyer friend she made me understand about how policies are uh, a collective mindset of the uh, legitimate people in our country and if the policies is fucked up that means that our mindset are fucked up and it 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 means a lot in a, in a country and that's when i started to learn a lot about like you know penal code of myanmar and how this policies and rules that we have in our country are over 100 years old and that's like not really ally with our current situation thinking and it's a long way to you know change it and uh how do i say in a nice word reform it and i think you also kind of uh pinpoint on that like 
how policy is really really important although most of us like go on living our life without taking too much consideration that a law might be an important sector in everyone's life but it is i i totally am uh, on the same page with you regarding that yeah i just wanted to add like that's a really good point because you know what you were saying about how old these laws are and that really you know ties back to what i was saying earlier about how our current understandings of you know social structures and gender and all of these things tie into our colonial past because a lot of these laws some of them are still from colonial times like penal code 377 which criminalizes same sex unions that is from the colonial era specifically until today it exists in Myanmar constitution so things like that um are really important like why do we even still have these laws it's been so long it's time for a reform for sure and the other thing that's really interesting about policy is you know it also shapes how we think about who is the bad guy in society right like when you were talking about abortion or the examples of sex workers who are the people that get penalized um with these policies it is the woman who is getting the abortion or the woman who is engaging in sex work and not for example the man who is purchasing her time so all of these things i think you know policies are not created equal the people that are impacted by the policies are not equal and i think time and time again we see that um these policies that are supposed to protect our society and our culture ends up hurting those who are the most vulnerable in our society so Yeah, that's why these things are so important, but you know, like you were saying, it's a collective effort. And I think that it's important to have people who are looking at these policies, but also important to have strong grassroots advocates and um people who are activists and campaigning and doing work on the ground as well. So I think like when all of these different perspectives come together, we can really have lasting transformative change. Um and i think uh, part of the reason that i was not so much invested in learning about policy in myanmar for so long is because i was so kind of i would say busy with um solving a problem with cu- cultural norms that we have which are also very harmful and then number one top one that i uh, have been advocating was regarding uh, period taboos you know i grew up in a nepali society where uh period was a really a curse and you're not allowed to touch anything in your household and you have to be sent away like for three consecutive um period a month because um you are even dirtier at the first three time or something that is very unreasonable that they believe in and because of those thing that i for so long i believe that being a girl is a, is a really really terrible thing i think that is why i was so consumed by um this harmful culture that almost take a lot of my energy and i couldn't really um try to you know focus on um, understanding another like kind of um, something that is that has legal power on most of us and i think those legal thing like such as policy also enable like you said enable these kind of taboos and cultural norms to uh long live you know to continuously go on in this conversation i want to also continue talking about a uh, period and uh, right now you're doing an amazing fundraising campaign which uh, needs attention of a lot of people 
first of all i would like to know when was your like when did you get your first period <laughs> so my first period i believe it was sometime around middle school um and it wasn't it didn't really feel like a very big deal to me um maybe early middle school but what i remember the most about it i went to my mom and you know there was blood in my underwear and i was like oh something's happening um and then she told me about periods and how i would have to you know wear a pad during this time um to for the blood and that it was normal but what what i remember the most is that i was very annoyed i was still very young probably 6th grade 7th grade so i was very annoyed because i did not like to wear underwear all the time <laughs> so i was like darn it now i'm going to have to start wearing underwear during my period and it's really annoying so that was the biggest thing that i remember from that time so that was your first period but no my first period was when i was 13 years old or 14 probably yeah 14s and i was in 10th grade and i got my first period and I was nervous and scared and I told my mom uh that I got my period and she was like oh my god like in a very sad face um I know that the the face was giving me a message that now I have to go through a, a terrible experience which is to be sent away from home for 3 months of my period time and I just had a really bad impression on period for so long in my life that um it took me so long to um unlearn those um beliefs that i was um forced to internalize and it's just so sad that how we perceive period in general in this country and how period is think as something that should be um talked uh, behind the curtain or that should be uh, something that we should whisper you know and it bothers me so much even up until now we have like you know for 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 we have progress in so many things i would say in myanmar but uh, the conversation around pvs has still remain as a very um very taboo subject you know and um now because you're leading a very important campaign and before like talking about your campaign i also want to kind of uh, raise the question regarding like you know when it comes to women needs on um around period we tend to kind of dismiss uh, those thing as something that is uh, not as important as other basic need you know we let's just say like for example in an office we might have a basic needs for the uh, the staff member like coffee tea etc other thing that we might want our office staff member to enjoy but when it comes to pad we think that it's a um, it's not a necessary thing to have in an office you know but periods are very random sometimes although it comes once a month the dates are very uncertain and it's so still sad but right now even during this pandemic the basic need for period is not still considered as an important factor for many people and but what you are doing is raising a lot of attention to people to take this in a, into consideration tell us why you started this campaign and what motivates you and how far you have come and um what are your thoughts on this um subject 
Yeah. And, you know, one of the reason that I started this and why I'm investing my time in this is because as a woman, I can relate, right? Like when you have your period, if you don't have a pad, it, it creates a huge problem and a huge headache. You don't want to be caught in that situation. So, you know, this is an issue that was really brought to my attention by my uncle, actually. Um, he reached out to me to share an article from the Myanmar Times where different women's rights groups were calling for quarantine centers and donors to be more considerate of women's needs, right? Especially during the second wave of COVID where cases are rising, a lot of people are in the quarantine centers. They are relying on donations to get adequate resources for the patients there. Um, and although people have been really great about donating meals and other essential items like toothbrushes and towels and things like that, people aren't really thinking to donate sanitary pads. And to be honest, I didn't think about this either. So it was really a call to action for me. And I felt very compelled to do something about it because like you said, it is a necessity. It is an essential item. Uh, you can't choose when to have your period. You're just going to have your period. So it is a monthly necessity. And because of the different restrictions and strict um, safety measures in place, like it, it, the process to get these items might take a, lo a little bit of time. It might be difficult. But also mostly a lot of women don't feel comfortable asking the volunteers for sanitary pads, especially when a lot of the volunteers working in the quarantine centers are male as well. So you know, there's still a lot of taboos and shame around talking about menstruation, which creates barriers for women to ask for these items, even in a time like this where it's a crisis. Um, and even though it's an essential item, these taboos and social norms around menstruation are so strong that they still feel shame in asking volunteers, especially if they're male. And, you know, when the Society for Women's Health Research I was reading about this the other day. They were also saying that during a time like this, when women don't have access to these menstrual products, they're going to be forced to turn to uh, other alternatives like paper towels and um, cloth and things like that. So it's unsafe right now, especially because of COVID, because they can have uh, infections, they can hold bacteria and things of that nature. So for me, you know, realizing that these patients, but also the healthcare workers and volunteers at these different quarantine and medical centers don't have access to sanitary pads um, is really like, it's a problem that someone needs to solve. And I wasn't seeing any kind of coordinated effort to provide this monthly necessity to these quarantine centers. So that's why I decided that I would coordinate this effort. Um, and so on October 8th, I set up just a simple Facebook page as the main platform for communication for this campaign. And I began reaching out within my network and posting on different pages on Facebook to get the word out and collect donations. And I've had a tremendous amount of help from my uncle who is managing all of the procurements uh, to purchase the pads from wholesale suppliers and things of that nature. And he also just had a baby earlier this week. So um, despite all of that, he's still handling the procurement and everything. So I'm really, really grateful. And I've also had help from the Rotary Club of Central Yangon. They're helping us distribute the pads to the different quarantine centers across Yangon. So our short-term goal with this project was to provide a three-month supply of pads for women and girls in quarantine centers in Yangon to start with. Um, and to reach this goal, we would need uh, over 6 million Myanmar Jats, 
which would be enough to purchase 180,000 sanitary pads. And we were able to reach this goal in just four days, which was really, really amazing. And I'm so thankful for all of the people that have been donating and spreading the word and raising awareness about this issue. But, you know, this is just Yangon right now, but we still need to reach all these other areas across Myanmar where there are a lot of vulnerable communities, especially in Rakhine and Gachin State and Shan State, where there are a lot of women and girls that are still in need of these important menstrual health items. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The other day you and I had a conversation about that, you know, and we were, I remember we were talking about how not just in pandemic women have to go through this kind of shame in order to get access to the basic need they they have they need they want uh, but also like there are women who are uh, in the middle of war and there are women who are in idp camps and there are women in a different uh economic background because i think pet is despite being an essential um, necessity uh for women and girls we tend to make it more expensive than other things that we usually need to use. You know, pets are really expensive. I remember like uh, when I was younger, you know, I grew up in a working class family and uh, it was very difficult to, to save enough money to get a pet. I remember my mom would uh, give us the pet instead of using for her. So for whenever we come, period together she would use the clothes and she would let me use the pad for a long time so it's so still sad that the basic need for a woman is an expensive thing and I don't know how we can change that do you think you can draw a policy around that and change the dynamic on that are you thinking about it (laughs) so I'm really Really glad you brought that up because there is this thing called a tampon tax in the U.S. Uh, I'm not sure about here, but um, basically what it is is you know they tax items differently depending on what types of items they are. So for things that are categorized as essential needs, like necessary items, they pay a lower tax, whereas things that are considered a luxury item are taxed higher. And pads and tampons are considered luxury items, so they are taxed higher. So the consumer actually pays more for these products. Um, so these are direct ways in which policies and ability to these products, particularly from those of different classes and backgrounds um, who might not have the resources to pay for these items. And, you know, they are also very wasteful, actually, for the environment. And a lot of people are trying to go towards um, more reusable and environmentally friendly products like menstrual cups, uh, reusable cotton pads, um, and things of that nature. And I think that it's it's really great to see this shift. Um, and I'm especially thinking about vulnerable communities here, like what you were mentioning, investment, to be able to have something like a menstrual cup that they could reuse for many, many years instead of purchasing pads that are one-time use every month. Um, So for this campaign, the reason that I am sticking to donating pads instead of reusable items like menstrual cups is because I did reach out to menstrual cup suppliers here and they said that because a lot of women in Myanmar are first time users, um, they struggle to use it properly. And so they receive a lot of phone calls from customers asking how to use it and how to wash it and store it. So 
they suggested that it might not be the best for women in quarantine centers, especially. Um, a lot of them have to share bathrooms as well. They uh, often have to share bathrooms with men as well because um, they don't have separate bathrooms. So I think that it would create a lot of issues for them to be able to safely and sanitarily dry and store the menstrual cup. Um, so for this case, specifically for the COVID time period, it made more sense for health and hygiene reasons to donate pads. I think I agree with that because I've also seen a lot of like even progressive people who have um, you, who have been using advanced technology. They have been like, you know, um, they're scared of uh, trying this menstrual cup or um, a tampon because they have this anxiety that it might take their opportunity and other silly things they've been really scared of. So I think it's a good idea to stick with um, uh, pad. It's also because it's the cheapest one that's available as well. Um, and and I, I want to also kind of uh, on a positive note describe that despite like uh, pad being expensive and other things that is um, problem with regarding like not taking importance on uh, women's uh, needs on like pad I think it's it's a really good news to hear from you Kane that uh, there are so many people who have been uh, instantly willing to um, uh, provide and help out and support this fundraising uh, but because I know that you said you have a short-term goal and long-term goal is there anything that you would like to say to our listener to you know get uh, to to reach another um, new goal for this fundraising and uh, if if you have where can they donate and how can they donate and uh, where are you like you know if they if they donate where do you think this um, donations are going and so that they can know that this is going to a right place that they want it to. So tell us a bit about information about how exactly people do can do the donation. And I know you mentioned about the Facebook page. Maybe it would be also helpful to tell the Facebook page name. I'll also share a bunch of link um, on this podcast where you can go and directly connect with K as well as the page and uh, give the donation but uh, just for the record could you please tell the listener how they can donate yes so for the fundraising i'm still trying to get accurate numbers from uh other states in myanmar like rakhine and shan state and kachin state um but generally if we look at the yangon goal we've reached it but if we look at um, my personal estimates for the Rakhine region, for example, the IDP camp there, we've only reached about five or six percent of that goal. So there's a lot of work left that needs to be done and a lot more money to be raised and a lot more pads to be purchased. Um, so if you as a listener to this podcast would like to donate to the cause, you can visit the Facebook page. It's called COVID-19 Fundraising for Sanitary Pads. And you can find it at um, the Facebook uh, tag or what is it called? Username is called myanmar.covid.sanitary.pads. We take all of the major banks like KBZ, KBZ Pay, AYA Bank, CB, PayPal for our international listeners, uh, Wave Money, etc. 
and really I want to emphasize that, you know, although pads can be expensive because we have um, direct contact with the wholesale suppliers, we are getting the cheapest discounted rates. So a little bit goes a long way. So even if you can only donate a few thousand jets, a couple dollars, a little really does go a long way. For instance, um, five, if you want to buy 500 pads, that's about 35,000 Myanmar jets. And that's enough for about eight women for three months. If you wanted to donate a thousand pads, that would be 70,000 Myanmar jets. And that would be enough for 16 women for three months. So, you know, really anything that you can spare would really help. And then you can also help by spreading the word and raising awareness within your community as well to help us reach a larger audience and get even more donors. Right now, we already have about 215 or so um, donors from all around the world that have very generously donated different sums of money to our cause. And I regularly update the Facebook page with um, pictures of exactly where the pads are going for full transparency. Um, I update how many pads we've purchased, how many we've distributed to exactly which quarantine centers. I also have shared a link to the uh, Google spreadsheet where I've listed all of our donors, their amounts, and what date they donated. Um, and I also shared a link to um, the distribution list where I've listed exactly how many pads have been sent to which quarantine centers in Myanmar so far. So definitely check out the page and donate if you can. Thank you so much, uh, not only for being here today, but also doing an important work for um, women community. And I think that um, when people like you stand up and do things, uh, it, it, it inspire other people to care about these issues, men or women, you know? It, it makes them think that this is a, an issue that has been not recognized and she's doing something about it, then we must support it if we can't do it by ourselves. So you inspire a lot of people. I hope you know that and I really want to thank you for doing this uh, fundraising as well as all the amazing work that you're doing currently along with it. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. And thank you so much for having me and for giving me space on your platform to talk about this important topic. Mm -hmm.